Well, hey, gang, uh, before I get into today's topic, uh, I just want to take a couple moments just to uh, express my appreciation for all of your concern and uh, your prayer support during this, uh, this eye adventure that I've, I've found myself on. Uh, I've explained to a number of you that, especially over the course of the summer, I, I kept feeling and, and even saying to Becky uh, how hazy it was outside, only to be informed that uh, it was a perfectly clear day. And eventually my vision felt like it was deteriorating so badly that uh, I had it checked out. And sure enough, my optometrist told me that I had cataracts. And uh, 42-year-olds don't usually get cataracts. So, of course, that led to some doctor's appointments and blood tests and, you know, some kind of secondary investigation to rule out other maybe bigger things. And uh, good news so far is that uh, my, my doctor would say that I'm fine. Uh, at least physically, so just hold your comments if you're in the peanut gallery. But uh, for the cataracts themselves, they required uh, surgery, and uh, they only do one eye at a time. My optometrist, my optometrist told me, um, so that if you get an infection, you only lose one of them, which wasn't necessarily the most comforting thing that I'd been told in the last number of months. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had my first surgery, and I know a number of you were asking me how it was going and, and uh, were praying for me, which I, I really appreciate. Um, if you know me at all, uh, you know that I am, uh, well, let's just say medically and, and, and hospitally averse. Um, my first three pastoral visits to the hospital when I started out in ministry, I fainted. First three. You're like, oh, that's a beautiful baby. Whoa, I've got to sit down and kind of collect myself. And uh, so I... For whatever reason, I don't do well in those environments, and, and frankly, I didn't do that well in, in, in this one, although they, they helped me out. I was, I was uh, you know, kind of in the, the pre-op uh, preparations and, you know, sitting down with a nurse and giving them all my information and getting my eye drops, and, and they said, okay, the next step is to, to get your IV hooked up, and I said, oh, okay, and uh, I guess they could tell by the, the, the whiteness of my face. They said, you're not going to do too well with that, are you? And uh, I said, no, no, I, I'm not going to do very well with that. They said, no problem. We can, we can work with you and, and work with me. They did. They took care of me and, and, and worked with me so that once I was ready and we were kind of in the sort of the on-deck line for these surgeries, they, they happen every 20 minutes. It's a seven-minute procedure. So you had this like 86-year-old woman uh, waiting, you know, in the on-deck chair in her wheelchair and then like the 75 year old man he's you know waiting behind her in his wheelchair and then the 42 year old guy is lying flat on his back on a gurney just in case I don't you know to prevent me from falling out of the wheelchair and so I, you know I'm lying there comfortable and thinking boy I hope no one here is on Twitter and uh, just really really grateful for um the way the procedure went, and it's already made a, a drastic difference, and uh, so much so that we booked the next one. December 10th uh, is uh, my second uh, eye surgery, and so I'll just say thanks in advance uh, for your concern and prayer about that. And uh, at the end of the day, just wanted to share that with you and praise God for uh, what in my life uh, I would consider to be answered prayer. It's been really, it's been really fantastic. So, so with that, uh, I want to dive into today's topic as we launch into a brand new series. And we, we, started, to, we started to introduce this idea, uh, not so much as a series, but as an era that we sense God wants to lead us into in the life of our 
church. Uh, We talked about this on Vision Sunday back in September, and we were recounting different eras, different like five to ten year runs of God's activity in our church community over the years, and recounted all the different ways in which God kind of was successively kind of expanding the capacity of our heart for him and for people. And, And I introduced this as what we sensed as a leadership to be kind of the next era of expanding our hearts. This time, as I described it, specifically around people who don't see the world the same as we do, or who don't see the world the same as as I do, or as you do. Talked about this era as being growing in our capacity to love people who think differently, who have different points of view, who bring different perspectives to the table and particularly hold different beliefs about about things that matter than you and I. And in this description of this era, I I described it, I kind of labeled it as love beyond belief. That's what we're calling this series. Um, Because what we're sensing from God is that he wants to grow us in the way that we relate to people in a way that's no longer conditional on sharing or being aligned in how we think about things. No longer conditional on sharing our beliefs. And I know back in September that when I, when I introduced this idea and the sense of what this next era could look like and the journey of the life of each of us personally and together as a, as a church family, a number of you were really thrilled and, and excited. And I had a number of you emailing me after saying, hey, sign me up. I thought, okay, that's cool. I, I, I don't know if there's anything to sign up for other than just be part of it, but, uh, but that's great that you're that keen. Others, uh, at the same time, uh, expressed some concern. A- and the concern I- I'm going to own as just a, a, a poor communication or clarification on my part, because the, the sense that I was getting again and again and again, as I, as I talked with people on that side or who had that reaction, was that as they were hearing me kind of describe and envision a way of life described as love beyond belief, what they were hearing was a way of life that in being kind of beyond belief meant that belief no, ma- no longer mattered. That, that somehow I was envisioning us to an era where the beliefs that we hold are less important and, and don't matter almost to the point where it didn't matter what you believed about Jesus. And, you know, some people kind of were questioning whether I was, I was talking about universalism, which is kind of a, a theological idea that, you know, kind of all roads lead to God, all religions are sort of the same, and, and you know, it really doesn't matter whether you believe specifically about Jesus or what you believe about Jesus, it'll all kind of work out in the end. And, and just to sort of at the dawn of this series, these five weeks, which are designed to really dig into and clarify what we're talking about at the dawn of this era that we're sensing that we're calling uh, love beyond belief that we're sensing God has us on. I just want to be abundantly clear that as a community and as a leadership, we are as rooted as ever in the teachings of Jesus represented by, among other places, John 14, 6. Where Jesus says there that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. I want to be abundantly clear with everybody that we are unapologetically seeking to be Christ-centered. Our mission as a church is to foster a lifestyle of full devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. 
And in no way do we see this journey or have we understood this journey to be drifting from that purpose or to be drifting from allegiance and loyalty and aspiration of knowing, loving, serving, and becoming more like the person of Jesus. In fact, what I want to talk about a little bit today is that we see quite the opposite. We see this journey as knowing and becoming like and loving and living for Christ maybe more than we ever have. And so today, if you're taking notes, I just want to clarify a couple ways in which we see God leading us in that direction. The first, as we're understanding this, this journey of love beyond belief, it involves adopting more of Jesus' mindset. Learning to think more the way Jesus thinks, uh, uh, specifically about how you relate to people who have different beliefs. Because what, what we're seeing, one of the things that drove us to, this, to, to sensing that God wants to define this next era of our church this way, is just an increasing and almost overwhelming degree of dividedness and division within the Christian church, even our own. And then on top of that division, we're sensing and seeing just an increasing, almost overwhelming degree of polarization of the Christian church with the surrounding society. And we're seeing like all this division and all this polarization. Something's got to change. And one of the things that we believe that God wants to change is the way we view how we do relationship in these kinds of ways. Because right now it feels like we have one of two options for many of us. You know, when, when, especially when we're aspiring to a life of faith and rooting our life in a faith-based way, rooted in, in certain convictions, it feels like we're given two choices when it comes to relationships. We can either be uncompromising in those convictions in ways that at times will force us to compromise how we and who we relate to, or we can commit to being uncompromising in our relationships. We're not going to break relationship with people. In fact, we're going to grow our capacity to relate to people. But to do that, we're going to be forced at times to compromise our convictions and the strength of them on certain things. And it seems like kind of a lose-lose proposition, but that really feels like the two alternatives that for many of us we believe are on the table. And yet in the person of Jesus, the perfect representation of God's vision for humanity, he was able to do both of those things. To be uncompromising in the relationships that he fostered while remaining uncompromising in his convictions and his knowledge and belief about, about God. And what we're hoping is that we can become that kind of community too. I had said at Vision Sunday that one of, I, I believe, the, the most prophetic passages for this era of our church is in Romans chapter 14 and 15. And in, in Romans chapter 14, the apostle Paul challenges first century believers with this. He says, therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification that leads to, to great relationships and he says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of beliefs about food. I talked about this on Vision Sunday that in the first century Roman church, they were arguing and disagreeing and risking breaking fellowship, risking breaking relationship and dividing because different people had different opinions on certain habits or biblical instructions when it came to eating food. And what the Apostle Paul teaches, and we're going to dig into it more in this series, is not to abandon those convictions, but to learn in retaining those convictions and even the diversity of them among you, 
to figure out a way to relate differently so that you can retain relationship while at the same time retaining your conviction. Okay, so love beyond belief, to be clear again, it's not about abandoning or adopting different kinds of convictions. You can retain your convictions. What it is, is about learning how to relate in a way that makes relationships as uncompromising as the convictions that you hold. And for some of us who only know uncompromising relationships that compromise, or uncompromising convictions that compromise relationships, or uncompromising relationships that compromise convictions, there actually can be a third category for you that you may not believe exists because your mind hasn't wrapped itself around it yet. But in the person of Jesus, who we're aspiring to grow and become like, we believe that we can grow in that way. That we can actually adopt more of the paradigm, more of the perspective and mindset that Jesus brought when he walked the earth. More than just changing how we think, though, uh, we see this journey as something that's going to change our hearts as well. And so, if you're taking notes, we, we, we see this love beyond belief journey uh, also including aspiring to Jesus' character. Aspiring to Jesus' character. We understand the Christian, the Christian faith to be about following Jesus, about learning of him in order to live more like him. And more than that, we believe that it's actually impossible to become more like Jesus apart from the risen spiritual life of Jesus transforming us from the inside out. It's called the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we often will teach and, and kind of anchor that reality in passages like Galatians 5 that teach this. The acts of the flesh of a life apart from the spiritual life of Christ, they're obvious. They contain things like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The list goes on. But... In contrast, the fruit of the spirit of God's activity in you are things like love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We teach this a lot, that there's a contrast between our capacity apart from Christ and who we can become when Jesus is transforming us from the inside out by his spiritual power. What I want us to notice, though, in a passage like that because we talk about it a lot and we highlight some of those contrasts often. There's a collection of words used in there that we don't highlight as much. Words like dissensions and factions and divisions. You know, th things like that. We, we don't talk about that as a dynamic of the flesh, as a dynamic of our fallen kind of sin nature. Something that the Spirit of God wants to radically transform. And I don't know if you've ever thought about those kinds of things as an area of your life that God wants to change. In fact, quite often when I see people, you know, in relationship and then you'll have people kind of dissenting and dividing or, you know, people kind of huddling up and excluding other people because they just don't get it or they don't think the same as them. Or I, I think sometimes in those circles, we actually, we actually describe that that sort of pseudo-unification as a badge of honor. It's actually like we're, we're kind of rooting out the pollution and the, and the, the impurity of the, the, the thinking. You know, we're, we're making sure that there's integrity to the, to the group, that we all think the same. You know what one translation describes that section of Galatians 5 as? That, that, that part that talks about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions... 
in there, it, it, in the list, one translation describes one of them as the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. The feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. Have you ever thought before that that hard attitude and that behavior of dividing and leaving and bailing and moving on and giving up and might be a sin that God wants us to repent of? That it might actually be a, a, a function of our flesh, of our natural heart condition that God, by the risen spirit of Jesus invading and transforming our lives, might want to change? We think that God could do that in this next era. And we think that God wants to do that in those ways where in our hearts and in our community, we're still living out dynamics of dissensions and factions and divisions and things like that. Especially when you start to realize the priority that Jesus places on the oneness of his people. Now, I, I don't know if this has ever struck you before, but it, it, it struck me a few years ago as I was reading through one of the Gospels and, and came upon John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, uh, it records Jesus' final prayer before he gave his life up for the sin of humankind. And in that prayer, he, he prays specifically for a couple key things, one of which is the life of you and me, of all his future disciples. Look at what it says in verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not only for my original disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them, he says, that all of them may be one. Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may be believe that you have sent me. I want that to just sort of sit there you know, in, in your heart and, and reflect on that for a moment particularly at, at, at two levels, because as I've reflected on it, it strikes me at two levels. First of all, it, it amazes me that Jesus, with a finite number of breaths left in his human life, would bother to be praying instead of for himself, instead of for protection, instead of for, you know, easing the pain on, you know, dying for my sin. And Jesus isn't praying for himself. Jesus is praying for me. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for us because of how much our oneness matters to him. That matters so much that with a finite number of breaths left, he feels it's worth investing those breaths into praying for us and our unity. It matters to him that much. The other thing that strikes me is the role that you and I can play in that. Because if you think about it, you and I, according to John 17, have been given the opportunity to be part of an answer to prayer for Jesus himself. Does that not strike you as incredible? I shared earlier how grateful I was for answered prayer, wanted to credit God for answered prayer. I, I, I'm not going to say pray a, a ton, probably not nearly as much as I should, but, but I try to pray regularly. And in my prayer life, I got to be honest, I, I ask Jesus to answer a lot of prayers. I pray for protection and provision and health and safety and you know, blessing on my kids and guidance and all kinds of things for church and friends. and what. I asked Jesus to answer a lot of prayers. But I was struck thinking that Jesus 
invites me and invites us to answer one. And I hope that at the end of my life, when I'm looking Jesus in the face and, and hopefully thanking him for all of the prayers of mine that he answered over the years, I know that he's going to ask me one question about how I did in answering his. And it just overwhelms me sometimes to think that Jesus gives us the opportunity to answer the one prayer of the one who answers all of ours. And so in addition to, you know, kind of adapting or adopting Jesus' mindset and aspiring to Jesus' character, we believe that this love beyond belief journey is a journey of answering Jesus' prayer and being able to grow and be transformed and learn how to relate differently to people who hold different views than ours in ways that foster unity instead of dividedness. That's what excites us about this. I, I hope that you can appreciate that this isn't a new belief. It's not abandoning beliefs. It's not some wishy-washy, watered down, Jesus doesn't matter, you know, kind of new theological bent. Um, we believe that this love beyond, love beyond belief journey is a journey of growing closer to the person of Jesus, of rooting ourselves more deeply in the person of Jesus, both in the living word of God, in Jesus himself, and in the written word of God, and what's revealed through the scriptures in the Bible. Now, we don't see this as a journey towards universalism or any kind of other train at all. We see this as a journey of understanding Jesus better and becoming like him more. And then the next number of weeks, we're going to unpack how we understand that. And we hope that at the end of this series, kind of introducing this era, that you will too. But I know in some conversations, I've started to kind of see some progress and see people kind of, the, the light bulb go on. I, I talked to one person the evening of the, the Vision Day message uh, at our Vision Night service. And, and we sat on the steps after the service and they kind of approached me and wondered, you know, was what they were hearing right? And they thought that maybe, you know, beliefs didn't matter. And we kind of checked in on, on that. And just in five minutes, had a little bit of a kind of a moment of clarification there. And they, they said, you know, so what you're saying is that, you know, with my employees, you know, who feel like they, they shouldn't swear around me because they're going to offend me, you know, I need to let them know, I, I need to, to, to make them feel that I'm going to accept and love them and, and that I care about them, whether they behave that way or, or not. Is that what you're talking about? And, you know, in a five-minute moment of clarification, I said to them, yeah, that, that for you, in, in, in the practicality of your day, at, at some level, that's what we're talking about. In, in the subtlety but significance of what that message can send. To say to those guys that, you know, I actually care about you and love you without that condition. I want, to, I want you to feel unconditionally, non-conditionally accepted and embraced and in relationship with me. And we feel like there's so many other opportunities for that to happen. So many other lunchrooms and you know, office cubicles, so many classrooms and hallways, so many you know, neighborhood, little mailbox encounters and backyard decks, so many you know, hockey rinks and all, all kinds of places where, where we think that God can stir this up among us. You know, maybe even in time for this Christmas where our living rooms and family rooms can be different with people who, who bear different, you know, backgrounds and perspectives and, and that we could actually experience a degree of oneness and unity and togetherness, both as followers of Jesus and with the surrounding society and surrounding community like never before. 
certainly from our perspective, we feel like we need that. We feel like our, our world needs that. I was just kind of reflecting this week on, you know, how many things we tend to divide on, how many things, you know, we allow to, to break relationship or to kind of sever connectivity with one another. You know, as a society, things like politics or the environment or climate change, you know, education or homeschooling, diet or veganism, all these kinds of things, you know, separate people from people in many ways. You know, and then within the church, you know, this morning across all of our locations, we celebrated a baptism at Glenridge, one of the most home run mornings we have around here. You know, hopefully, as an aside, if you've never been baptized, you'll take that step of faith and let us celebrate you in a future baptism. But, you know, you probably heard disclaimers, especially if you were at Glenridge, you heard disclaimers about how we see baptism because we know that even baptism, a celebration like no other around here, we know that that can be a source of division and polarization in the church. Never mind things like end times, heaven and hell, the role of women, even music styles, or your theology and approach to music. They can all singularly kind of subcategorize us. And then as a church with the watching world, issues like war, defense, peacemaking, marriage, sexuality, abortion, euthanasia, the list goes on where they polarize people from people and we're wondering, when is that going to stop? You know, 2,000 years removed from the life of Jesus and the impetus of his church, we now have over 20,000 subdivisions, what we call denominations of Christianity. You know, where Jesus prayed for us to be one. We feel like, what would it be like if the world saw oneness and experienced oneness with the Christian church to a greater degree? You know, now some of you may still kind of be concerned. I know that I, I had a number of conversations with you, with, with some of you about this uh, over the last number of months. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that this is uh, helping clarify things, but, you know, there still might be some of us who are concerned about the, future direction of our church. And the language I've heard uh, a few people use from time to time is the language of a slippery slope. You know, I, I'm concerned that as a church, you know, in, in going down this love beyond belief road, we're, we're kind of going down a slippery slope. And if you still feel at this point, um, there, there's two things that I, I, I just want to say in, in response. The first is for all of us to appreciate that any time you feel like we're going down a slippery slope as a church or just as a group or organization. Anytime you feel that something's going down a slippery slope, you need to ask yourself where you think we currently are at. Because the, the idea of worrying about the slippery slope kind of comes with the assumption that we're not already slipping or that we're in some place of perfection that doesn't need to be approved on, improved on. And any change from that place of per perfection is going to be detrimental to where we're at. That any change is bad and is going to take us kind of downhill. And it doesn't necessarily take the step back to consider, you know, where we are as a church and where the church is at in the world these days and, and, and whether we've already slipped. You know, whether we could use some self-correction as opposed to thinking that we're already in the perfect, correct, ideal place. And personally, I was struck by this uh, just over this past week with the latest kind of publicity of the Christian church in the, in the media um, that of all things uh, has been kind of swirling over a red coffee cup. Have you heard about this at all? Um, it appears that Starbucks this year um, 
for the holiday season has gone with a pure red, plain looking uh, coffee cup. And Christians now kind of across North America and around the world are reacting to it because it doesn't contain anything, you know, spiritual or even commercial related to specifically uh, Christmas, to, to celebrating Jesus' birthday. And uh, there's been this movement called, it's had a hashtag, Merry Christmas Starbucks. And, uh, you know, it's kind of been taking the world, especially the social media world, kind of by storm. And I, I don't know if you know about it. And, and if you do, I don't know if you know where this originally came from, but it came from one guy who kind of reacted to this, who online kind of started this movement and the thing has gone viral from there. And what I wanted to do this morning, just to kind of make us think about this a little bit more, is I wanted to show you this original video that started this whole thing that's kind of lit up the internet and, and, and even beyond that over the last number of weeks. Um, it's from a, a a self-proclaimed evangelist, a social media evangelist uh, out of Arizona by the name of Josh Furstein. And I want you to just to take a look at the video now and we'll talk about it on the other side. <laughs> 